first reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said one to another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them into him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The word of the Lord. Almighty Father, the story that you tell, the story that you caused to unfold is a story of you uh, coming after us. Um, Jesus arriving, um, uh, teaching, healing, liberating, uh, pursuing people who weren't really looking for him, uh, but he was looking for them. And that makes all the difference. Would you, would you seek us now? And to whatever extent we're not looking for you, seek us anyway. And to whatever extent we're trying to evade you, seek us anyway. Please find us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, and uh, if you would turn back to those two readings, they're really just one reading, but we broke them up uh, into two, um, two little episodes there, but we'll treat them all as one. Um, let me point out something about Jesus that is uh, really striking. Some people will find this compelling, but others will find it very, very troubling. Here it is. Jesus makes absolute claims of authority um, in people's lives. So, for instance, if you looked at the second reading at the very end, what you find, that it ends just straightforwardly, and when they brought in their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, um, one of the things that that means is that a guy called Simon, a guy called James, and a guy called John, who are all of them fishermen, they uh, left their careers, they left their families, uh, they left their homes eventually, 
and they gave their lives entirely, they surrendered their lives entirely without question to the authority of Jesus Christ. And, and it led them on a remarkable journey, each one of them. It led each of them through suffering in different ways. So James uh, was decapitated in the end. Uh, Simon was tortured to death. And John was tortured many times but didn't die through it. This is a big deal. Jesus, when he calls people to be his followers, he makes an, an absolutely audaciously big claim of comprehensive authority. And when you think about it a little bit like that, I wonder if it sort of sounds freaky. Because I think it's a little freaky. Um, those of us who have a strong religious background, have grown up in church or whatever, my guess is that many of us forget how crazy that sounds, that this one person, Jesus Christ, would have comprehensive authority over the people uh, whom he calls into to follow him, and, and, and he claims comprehensive authority over the whole world. But if you don't have a religious background, or if you have been hurt in church in any way, then my guess is that little alarm bells start to go off in your brain when you hear about somebody claiming comprehensive authority. And if those little alarm bells start going off in your brain, I think you have good reason for those alarm bells. I mean, because it seems to me that we as a society, we are uh, deeply, we, there's a mood of suspicion around big claims of authority. Is that true? Do you agree? Uh, Tuesday's a, an election. When we think about the political sphere, we think about somebody who makes massive claims of authority and little alarm bells go off because we're afraid about authoritarianism or totalitarianism or whatever it is, and we have good reason to have those suspicions. But it's not just politics. Um, every day we, 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 we're marketed to, and companies make big claims about their products, and we kind of hold it at arm's distance with a little bit of healthy suspicion. Or in a religious setting, uh, a religious leader makes big claims of authority, and, and we hold them, hopefully, uh, with a little bit of healthy suspicion, because we all know that there are frauds. There is plausible reason for a mood of suspicion when we hear big claims of authority. And that mood of suspicion can make us rather skeptical about Jesus' claims, especially if we're paying attention and we're taking what he says seriously. However, as we come to these readings, I want, you to, I want to invite you to consider this. Um, we are not the first culture in history to have good reasons to be suspicious of big authority claims. In fact, the people who were uh, in these stories had just as much uh, reason to be skeptical of big authority claims as we do. Um, these are people who have been brutalized by the Romans, so they know that politics is not something that they can trust very well. And these are people who have been exploited by any number of economic forces. These are people who have been hoodwinked by religious leaders. So they have every reason that we have to be suspicious of big authority claims. And yet, the odd thing is that when they watched Jesus, they noticed something qualitatively different. 
they noticed a quality of authority that they had never seen before. So when they looked at Jesus and when they looked at who he, what he said and what he did, they saw that Jesus wasn't just like everybody else but a little bit more, but they realized that Jesus demonstrated a type of authority that is entirely different from anything they had seen anyplace else. And that got their attention. So what I want to do is invite you into these stories to consider the unique authority of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to look at these stories and ask, to what extent is Jesus an authority you can trust? That water. Not choking up. <laughs> just got something in my throat. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that right there. Uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, <clears throat> ask yourself, to what extent is Jesus somebody you can trust? And if you are a follower of Jesus, ask yourself, to what extent is, uh, it, where are the areas of your life that you are sheltering from Jesus's authority. <clears throat> and what's that about? All right, come with me into the passage. We're going to try, if, if I can talk, excuse me, I've been fighting something, to consider uh, Jesus's authority here. Look at it. Start at the beginning. All right. At the beginning of the story, the scene opens up and Jesus is preaching in a synagogue. Verse 32, everybody's amazed. Uh, everybody's amazed. Interestingly, do you see that? At Jesus's authority. Now, my immediate question is why? And I want to hear the sermon Jesus preached that day. Uh, however, that's not what Luke gives us. Uh, Luke does not give us the content of his sermon. Luke, the author of this selection, uh, describes the impact of his authority. Uh, take a look at verse 33. It says, In the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now that demon is not uh, flattering Jesus. That demon is mocking Jesus and challenging Jesus' authority. And that had to be a very chilling moment in that synagogue. Uh, N.T. Wright uh, says this, Many people in the modern world don't believe in demons. They are inclined to say that this sort of thing was simply a medical condition that people hadn't diagnosed in Jesus' day. Many others, however, in several parts of today's world know only too well that strange forces seem to be able to invade a personality so that the person talks with a strange voice and has a peculiar, one might say, haunted look in the eye. It's more than just an illness of the mind, though some of the signs are similar. And sometimes people in that condition do not know, or seem to know things that nobody else does. <clears throat> um, when we look at this, very often people get kind of suspicious about the whole idea of um, uh, demons, demon possession, things like that. And, 
consider this. Western society is very sophisticated in many ways, but we are also naive in a variety of ways. And one of the areas where it seems to me that we're rather naive is around the concept of evil. We are often baffled by evil, as if it's a strange thing. Uh, we are confused by evil. It frightens us, and we don't have a lot of resources to explain what causes evil to happen. It, but in most human cultures, they've had a lot of resources to analyze the uh, dynamics of evil. And these are people who knew evil when they saw it, and they knew that it was very, very scary. It was scary for many reasons, but one of the reasons it was scary is that there was very little that they could do about it. This person in that synagogue that day did not, uh, did not have, couldn't do anything about the fact that he was being oppressed by this demon. But also, the community around him in that synagogue had very little resources to do anything to help. And we all know that powerlessness feeds fear, so it must have been a very chilling day in that synagogue. And then Jesus deals with the situation. Verse 35, he says, be silent and come out of him. And that's it. And it's the brevity of his words that imply the power and the authority that it bears. There's no magic words. There's no yelling. There's no big show. Uh, Jesus isn't angling for attention in this context. He just says, shut up and get out. And it works. And that's what astonishes everybody. Look at verse 36. What is this word? For with power and authority, he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. See, it's not just that they looked at Jesus and said, wow, he has a lot of authority. It's that they looked at Jesus and they saw a different kind of authority that they had never seen in anyone else. You know, uh, one reason to be suspicious of big authority claims is that we fear, uh, reasonably, that people will use their authority for evil ends. That's a very legitimate fear. There's an awful lot of evil in this world, and much of it is more powerful than any one of us, and you don't ever want to give authority to someone who might wield it in the service of wickedness. But that also means that if we find somebody whose authority thwarts evil, then that should be somebody that gets our attention. That might be somebody who's able to use their authority to thwart evil and to thwart it effectively and decisively. That's somebody who may well be worthy of our trust. So the first reason that makes Jesus' authority completely unique is that his authority neutralized evil with an unprecedented clarity. But then there's more. Look at verse uh, 30, 38. Jesus goes out of the synagogue, he goes into a house, uh, almost across the street. Fun, fun fact, um, archaeologists have uncovered this whole site, and they've uncovered both the synagogue and also uh, where they think this house is. It's, it's really fun. Go visit someday. Um, but Jesus goes next door, and, and he says, spends the rest of his day healing people. Now, once again, when you think about healing, for a lot of us, some, some questions and suspicions come up. But just consider this. Um, we have more accounts of Jesus' life than just about any other ancient figure. And all of the accounts of Jesus' life that we have corroborate the fact 
that Jesus healed people all the time. And he healed people in a way that astonished the people of his day. And interestingly, even Jesus' opponents uh, never questioned the authenticity of Jesus' healings. They, they sometimes uh, claim that Jesus healed by evil power through the devil, but they never claim that Jesus' healings were a fake. Which means there's historical reason to be as astonished at Jesus' teachings and healings as the people were in that day. But what we need to see is not just the fact that the healings happened, but we need to see the meaning of the healings. Let me explain this. Uh, ancient Israelites uh, held two really important convictions. One, the world is broken. Number two, God's going to step in and deal with it. Uh, they looked around and they saw uh, evil and disease and death, and those things seemed to reign over this world. They saw that this world was broken, and that was pretty obvious. But the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, held out a hope and an expectation that one day, somehow, God was going to break into this world. And when God broke into this world, God was going to act like a, like a new king uh, setting up his authority in a previously disordered nation. He's going to come into the disordered nation, and he's going to set things right. And the idea was that God would set up this new kingdom in a way that would defeat evil and injustice and also heal human bodies. And not just human bodies, but the, the healing of human bodies would be a signpost of how God was going to, to restore all of creation and heal the entirety of the environment. Now, it's an audacious hope, but for a minute, imagine it's your hope. And imagine you see Jesus, and you're in synagogue on that day, and he heals uh, that man possessed by a, the, the demon, and you realize this is somebody who has authority to combat evil. And then you follow him around to the house uh, across the street, and you watch him as he heals person after person. What would you think? You'd begin to think, oh my goodness, the kingdom of God, this thing that I've heard of, that I've hoped for, the kingdom of God is breaking in, and, and God is combating evil and setting this broken world right. And so can you see why the people, when they listened to Jesus and when they saw what he did, were just on the edge of their seats? And it ends up that that's precisely what Jesus was preaching about. Look at verse 43. He was preaching the good news of, wait for it, the kingdom of God. In other words, he was saying something like this. Um, we all know that we live in a broken world. And we know you, we live in a broken world because you can feel it in your decaying body. The fact that you get sick sometimes. Um, you can feel it in your approaching death. You can see it in the corruption of the power structures that are around you. And you can feel the powerful presence of evil. However, it's as if Jesus says, I'm here to tell you of a different authority, of a greater kingdom and of a better king. It's as if Jesus says, I'm here to speak about the kingdom of God. And I'm here to announce that the unique authority of God is breaking into this world. And it's as if Jesus says, I'm here rolling out that plan. Now, does that sound like a bit of a far-fetched idea? Well, one of the best reasons to take Jesus at his word is what happened when he died. Why do I say that? Because Jesus' death means that he put his money where his mouth is. 
Uh, Jesus didn't just uh, speak about combating evil. He experienced evil. He suffered it. Jesus didn't just uh, talk about restoring this broken world. Um, he was crushed under the weight of this broken world. And if you're suspicious of human authority, then Jesus is your man because he was killed by a, a collision between the religious corrupt leaders and the politically corrupt leaders. And they came again uh, together and he was smashed in the midst of it. Jesus knows all about the abuse of power because it killed him. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. But differently, his body, which was broken, was then restored and renewed and in a way remade. And the reason that's so important is that it co corroborated Jesus' claim about the kingdom of God. It means that on the cross, Jesus wasn't just a victim, he was a combatant. He was combating evil and he was victorious through his death and resurrection. And his risen body is a down payment of the restored world that he promises in the end. Now, what does all this mean for us? It means this. We all have good reason to distrust authority. And the story of Jesus confirms those reasons, but it also adds an unexpected alternative. Jesus is a unique kind of authority. He combats evil. He restores this broken world, and he, he's got skin in the game. And the question for you and me is, what is it that you make of his authority? As I asked earlier, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to what extent might Jesus be an authority that you can trust? The answer to that question will make all the difference. And if you are a follower of Jesus, what, are, what areas of your life are you sheltering from Jesus' authority? And what's that about? But I need to show you two more things. Uh, Jesus' authority is unique because he addresses uh, evil. He wants to restore this broken world. But there's two more things. Namely, he addresses the secret evil resident in our lives. And he gives us a purpose that's bigger than ourselves. I'll show you what I mean. Take a look at the second reading. So Jesus is preaching. There's a crowd all around him. He commandeers uh, a boat, a fishing boat, sets out, preaches from it. Uh, the boat belongs to a guy called Simon. And when he's done preaching, he turns to Simon and he says, hey, Simon, let's go fishing. And, and Simon's a professional fisherman, and he knows that you fish at night, not during the day. And he's already done the graveyard shift. He's been fishing all night, and it was a bust. He didn't get anything. He's ready for his sleep. And he looks at Jesus, and he kind of intimates. He goes, Jesus, I'm sure you're a good rabbi, uh, but you are operating outside your sphere of competence at this point. Uh, but nevertheless, um, we're not going to catch anything, but I am astonishingly nice, so yes, I will let down the net because you say so. And in the next few minutes, G, uh, Simon made more money than any day of his life previous. This is the apex of his business career. He, he catches a lot of fish. But oddly, that's not what matters most for Simon. In that moment, Simon realized that Jesus bore a type of authority that Simon had never encountered before. And he found it actually really frightening. Why did he find it frightening? Uh, one of the false comforts of religion 
is that we imagine that God stays safely on the page. And as long as God stays put on the page, stays put in the book, then I can manage his authority, right? I can filter out the bits that I don't want to deal with. But on this day, uh, Simon learned that God doesn't stay inside the book. God doesn't stay inside the boat. In fact, he realized that God, went, in a very real way, was, was in his boat. And Emmanuel, we need to realize that, that God doesn't stay tamely on the page. He's all up in our business all the time. There's no portion of your life that is outside the sphere of God's claim of authority. And if that frightens you, it probably means you're listening. And you can identify with Simon. Because at verse 8, he fell down at Jesus' feet and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It's interesting, Jesus hadn't mentioned anything about sin. Why does Simon bring it up? Here's why. Evil is not just about demons. And evil is not just about corrupt structures outside me. Evil hides in the secret places of my heart, especially those secret places of my heart where I resist God's authority. And when you find Jesus in your boat and all up in your business, you realize that you are deeply exposed. We already prayed a prayer that said, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. It's frightening. And if you've never been frightened, then it might be an indicator that you're not taking this bit of it as seriously as is the case. And yet, do you see what Jesus does? Jesus defies Simon's request. Simon said, go away from me. Jesus says, no, I'm not going away from you. And he steps closer. And I imagine him re reaching out his right hand on Simon's shoulder and saying, do not be afraid. Because Jesus hasn't come to shame Simon. And Emmanuel, Jesus hasn't come to shame you either. Jesus comes to defeat your evil, the evil hiding within our hearts. And he's an unrelenting enemy of the evil residing in our hearts. But that's because he loves to restore broken things. And you will never find an authority kinder than that. But what it also means is that our attempt to hide bits of our lives from Jesus' authority is a futile endeavor. Jesus is already in our boat. And he's ready to say to you today, do not be afraid. And what that should move us to do is to lay it all down. But then there's one more thing. Jesus' authority is unique because he combats evil. He wants to restore this broken world. He, he combats the sin within us. But then finally, he restores a purpose to our lives that's bigger than we are. Jesus tells Simon that Simon's not going to catch fish. He's going to catch people. And Simon spent the rest of his life doing that. Uh, we know him more famously as St. Peter. And Emmanuel, this reading is a call to us to entrust our lives, every area of our lives, to Jesus' authority. He said he, he's calling us to set everything aside, trust him. And as we follow Jesus, we will end up living for, an, for a purpose much bigger than ourselves. And that bigger purpose is, 
is to live as Jesus' disciple and student, to live in relationship with God through Jesus Christ in ever-increasing intimacy. And then that intimacy uh, works out in our lives as we serve him in this world, uh, being his ambassador wherever we go, uh, doing the works that he has called us to do that pushes against the evil in this world and that contributes to the restoration of this world. And so today I want to encourage you to take all the reasons that we might be suspicious of authority, look at them, take them seriously, and then look at Jesus. Because you'll find somebody who has earned your confidence. And you'll find the highest purpose in your life depends on surrendering your life to the one who loves you beyond your imagining. Let's pray. Almighty Father, will you make Jesus clear to us? Will you grant us to see him, so to speak, in our boat, drawing near? And will you grant us to see his authority as eminently trustworthy? And will you go to those parts of our souls where we're, we're hesitant to, to surrender? And will you persuade us to release, to surrender, and to find the restoration that you desire to give. Holy Spirit, do this work. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.